This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform. I am here with Eat Perform coach, April Blackford. April, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. So April just found out that her computer has a, a volume and that if you turn the volume up, you can actually hear the other person. So she's like, seriously, I don't hear you. I do not hear you. You know? Which, by the way, it's probably a horrible podcast thing. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm shaking my hands. But So I just wanted to kind of touch base on a few things that are sort of happening in the Eat Perform world. Last week, we had our app come out, which is the Fat Loss Course app. So if you're looking in the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, just look for Fat Loss Course form and you should be able to find it it's six dollars and ninety five cents uh, it allows you to kind of follow along we could sort of break down the beginning parts of eat to perform we also uh, you'll know, put in a lot of content we'll probably start putting in a little bit more content actually we're making this podcast and this theme for the um, the course and we've done a few of those up to this point. And uh, we'll be adding those kind of sporadically. But right now, we're just getting to the point of kind of populating the app so it's usable and not overwhelming to new people. The other thing that has happened is that we just introduced our programming for fat loss book with um, our new supplement book. So we actually had two new books that came out. We've only had one, um, really one other book in the last couple years, which is the Wave Method, which is getting kind of a, um, a, a name update, just because we've had a lot of feedback where people are like, I have no idea what the Wave Method means. So we're gonna rename that book. And uh, so a lot of really cool stuff happening in each form world if you're not following along. Uh, but, but we're kind of coming into the spring and, you know, kind of really looking forward to amping up my volume as an example. How are things going for you, April? Um, it's going well. I actually, you were talking about spring. I was having a conversation with someone today. And, you know, spring is kind of the, the symbolism of a new beginning, you know, new growth you know, the flowers start blooming, you know, it's kind of a fresh start, you know, so I think it's good. I always thought it was interesting. I always think it's interesting that people tend to try to eat at a deficit right after the holidays when, you know, especially, you know, if you live in the North or you live in kind of a colder place, January is not the best time to be getting out and about it seems like this is a much better time for people because you know the weather's starting to get better you feel more energetic right you know longer days um just kind of a kind of a a, a fun type thing to to add volume to the mix and so um i'm looking forward to it i am you know I, i'll you'll briefly kind of go through this because you know this is my fifth week of performance focused fat loss been kind of going through that if you're not listening to the fat loss um, chat which we do on Thursdays you know I've been kind of helping people along there but I just went under 180 so I'm down a little over seven pounds pretty happy about that 
and uh, feeling really good. You know, the, the thing that we, we always talk about, you know, you do tend to want to, you know, reevaluate how things are going. And, uh, you know, we say often that, you know, the, the smaller time frame you have as it relates to dieting, you know, the more effective your deficits go are going to be. And so um, that has certainly proven true for me. Up to this point, it's been pretty easy. Um, I am expecting the next three weeks to be a little bit tougher, but we'll see. You know, one of the things that's nice is I've been able to kind of keep my activity relatively high. And so going into this, my calories were, were about, you know, 2,700. I've actually been able to kind of keep my my output around 3,000 each day and by just kind of adding in, you know, activity, but also some, some level of walking. And, you know, a lot of times people overthink that kind of thing, but really, you know, I just take my dog for a little bit longer walk or I make it a priority after our group coaching calls and stuff like that to, you know, get out and about and throw on the headphones and just, you know, there's like a little four mile loop. If I have enough time, I'll do that. So um, anything interesting happening in the gym for you, April? Um, I actually kind of just got back this week. Last week was kind of sporadic with spring break. Um, my husband and I, we went down to the beach for four or five days and ended up doing some slave labor out in the yard. <laughs> so we rented this, this giant lawn dumpster and I ended up having to do all the manly work while Tom supervised and got down like in the creek by the ocean and cut down about 20 years worth of bamboo. So that was exciting. So. It's a, a creek, not a creek where you're from. Creek. Creek. Yeah. I, see, I, I don't know why I feel a need to like make fun of everyone's accents on this show, but, but I'm relentless as it relates to Catherine as well. So, one of the things that I thought, you know, kind of came up in group coaching today that I thought was interesting and would be a good topic for tonight. Um, someone's asking what performance-focused fat loss is, and it's, it's basically a deficit cycle where you're not being too aggressive, so you actually end up keeping your muscle. And one of the biggest ways that we teach people to do that is kind of keep volume in place. A lot of times we, we want people really focusing a little bit more on hypertrophy work rather than, you know, high intensity every single day or, you know, a lot of cardio. If you're going to do cardio, maybe kind of um, be a little bit more sporadic about it or kind of move to more low intensity work. But the, the, the thing that differentiates each perform from a lot of other things is the fact that we're we're not trying to kill you and have you in a deficit at the same time. We we sort of want to do what basically Mike calls minimal minimal effective dose. Mike is Dr. Mike Nelson, um, Dr. Mike Nelson, Dr. Brad Dieter. Those are the guys that run our coaching program. We actually still have our coaching program open. If I um, if I think to maybe I'll post a link in this podcast, but we'll get to questions later on. But I thought it was a, it was sort of an interesting theme to talk about uh, 
how people measure their progress. Because I think what happens for a lot of people when they first start eating form, they, they kind of think of it the same way that most people think of, you know, Weight Watchers or something like that. You know, they sign up for some kind of challenge and, uh, or, or, you know, some kind of promotion that we're doing. And then they think of it from the standpoint, okay, now, Give me the starva starvation method that I signed up for. And what differentiates us from everybody else is the fact that we try to get you to some level of baseline. Now, I think the best way to start this conversation is what is your total daily energy expenditure, right? So we're going to really be talking a lot about the form calculator, total daily energy expenditure. And a lot of people go, well, you know, I know I'm overeating because I have more fat on my body than I would like to have on my body. And so that is kind of true and kind of not true. It's not true as it relates to where your body wants to be in a lot of instances. So if you say to me that you're overeating, as an example, we will say, fine, okay, here's your total daily energy expenditure. This is your protein for the day, carbohydrates and fats. And then the person comes back and says, you know, I gained three pounds, what the heck, you know? Well, what that means is, is that you are likely overeating your metabolism, but not necessarily overeating. Any thoughts on that, April? Because I think this is obviously something that I don't think the good majority of people realize that they're not as bad as they think they are, right? And I think part of it is because if you follow Eat to Perform, you probably do something and you're probably relatively active. And so most people don't realize that if you're doing something like CrossFit or powerlifting or some level of running, you know, you're actually burning a lot of calories and your body actually wants to fuel that great work capacity. Any any thoughts on that? Because, you know, for, for those that don't know, we have a coaching program. Um, April's the head of the coaching program. I'm one of the coaches and then um, Brad Dieter, but we, we work in pods. And so we have groups of people that sort of help everyone. And then we have you know, calls similar to this, but it's really more interactive where, you know, instead of it, me and April talking, it's actually, you know, me and April and four other clients. So just to um, give people. I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying in regards to the, you know, the, you're overeating your metabolism. You know, that's just an indicator that you're not eating eating enough to fuel for what you do. Um, I do think that oftentimes, and I see this every single day, is just the misconception as to the energy requirements that someone's body needs. You know, I, I see it every single day where someone says, you know, I ran this calculator or, you know, I went to the doctor or whatever, and my BMR is 1,300 calories. You know, if I eat 2,000 calories, I'm going to gain all this weight and, and you know, I'm going to get fat and, you know, I already need to lose 20 pounds of fat. You know, how, how is this going to work? But I think oftentimes it's the misconception of, you know, 
the 2000 calories factors in, you know, your, your BMR is, you know, just the science of what your basal metabolic rate is, what the thermic effect of food is, what your neat activity is. And then like what you said, your physical activity from CrossFit or lifting or, you know, anything for that matter. And I think it's the, it's, it's just, it's just a, a mere fact that people just don't understand and they just don't know. Um, you know, and I think it scares them, of course. Yeah, and I think that that's actually a big, big appeal to what we talk about. Because, you know, when you really break it down, so what, what April's talking about basal metabolic rate is if you go in and you get body fat tested, they will give you basal metabolic rate, the e-perform calculator you know, has some calculations related to that. You can go to that, you know, just eperform.com and uh, it's in the, the top of the nav bar. But these are calculations, you know, and equations that have been factored over time. They're, they're rough estimates based on the amount of muscle that you have. And then what all of these calculators do is they have a multiplier based on what you do. So that brings me to kind of the second point of this, right? The second point being that most people think that their metabolism is static and it's actually very dynamic, right? You have a lot of controls over your metabolism. And so when we talk about am I seeing progress, one of the ways that you know you're seeing progress is if you were, were under eating, as an example. Well, so this is interesting. I think this is interesting for a lot of people. If you are, you know, have more fat to use, oftentimes you will think to yourself, I have a stagnant metabolism, right? Some of the, the biggest people on the planet think that their metabolism is not good. And actually, it's sort of the opposite, especially if you're eating. Two of the biggest factors as it relates to your metabolism kind of working and doing fine is are you eating enough for what you do, right? So if you're overeating, then almost certainly you would. And then are you doing something? So if you're even slightly overeating, but you're staying active, that's favorable as it relates to your metabolism. If you're an under eater though, it's kind of interesting because let's say that you started at 1300 calories and let's say that you're a female and you weighed, you know, 165 pounds. And now all of a sudden you start gradually working up your calories. You know, what we don't want people doing is going to the perform calculator, plugging in the numbers and then eating that number tomorrow. Right. You know, you want to kind of gradually move into this new way of thinking where, you know, um, kind of thriving as a human being is the priority. Actually, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting about that, and if you guys get a chance, listen to the podcast that Mike did with Dr. Galpin, G-A-L-P-I-N. Um, I think the title of the, the podcast was These Three Things Will Help You Live Longer. I'll, since you're already listening to this podcast, I'll tell you what the three things are because I, I guarantee you most of you don't know, you know, because frankly, I would not have guessed the three that he said. Um, and this was based on 30,000 people 
and actual death rates. The three factors that they were able to determine as it relates to longevity of life were leg strength, VO2 max, and lean body mass. And when we say lean body mass, we're not saying, you know, we're saying the amount of muscle on your frame. So you could actually have, you know, body fat. Now, carrying excessive body fat would affect your VO2 max in a lot of instances. But, you know, people sort of overplay the cosmetic part of things, you know, where, you know, I want to look a certain way in the mirror. We've done a lot of talks about this. We actually um, interviewed Dr. Stephen Blair from the University of South Carolina. He's been someone that's been a proponent of the, the fitness over fatness movement. And what Dr. Blair talks about, you know, he's 78 years old, you know, walks 15,000 steps a day, that if you're active, you are favorably affecting your health in a major way, right? Think about the leg strength part and, you know, your ankles and your feet and all this other type of stuff. When someone, if you, you have anyone in your family that's passed away, think about why they passed away. They fell on something, you know, and they broke their hip and then quickly, you know, their health declined. Those are things that, that, that factor in. VO2 max obviously is going to be favorable as it relates to cardiovascular health. But when we're talking about metabolism, all those three factors matter a great deal, right? So when you look at a, a body fat test or, you know, like April was talking about metabolic cart where you're getting your metabolism tested, what they're looking at is the amount of muscle that you have on your frame. And to a certain extent, how much food you're eating. It was kind of interesting if you're not familiar with this. I've talked about it a number of times, but it was one of the podcasts we did with uh, Dr. Lane Norton where he was testing bodybuilders. And one of his bodybuilders, his metabolism went from like 3,000 calories a day to like, you know, 1,300 based on about a three-week period of dieting. So when you look at what's favorable for dieting, it's one, are you keeping the muscle that you have on your frame? And then two, are you eating an adequate amount for what you do? Now, that doesn't mean that you would never eat at a deficit, but when, you know, I think it was Matt asked, what is performance-focused fat loss? What a lot of people do when they have fat that they would like to use they think, I need to lose 40 pounds, and they do it by hook or by crook, right? And if it takes them six months, they do it, you know? But they don't always do it in the smartest way or with the most information possible. And so that's what these podcasts are about. These podcasts are about to give you guys the information that's ultimately going to provide you a sustainable, you know, approach. But when you look at whether or not you're progressing. Were you eating 1,300 calories and now you're eating 1,800 calories, right? And your weight's stable? That is huge, right? Now, a lot of people go, but I'm not losing any weight. Well, when you add 
500 calories to the amount of food that you eat daily, right? That's roughly a pound a week. You're almost certainly going to be putting on lean mass in that scenario. Maybe not necessarily a pound a week, but certainly it's going to be favorable as it relates to your metabolic rate, as it relates to how you feel throughout the day. Most people don't realize when they're a chronic under eater that they don't get out the chair as much. They're overly reliant on caffeine. All these different little factors that, that happen throughout the day. When you're eating an adequate amount of food, you actually have more energy. You're actually willing to go out and walk the dog. You're you know, able to do pull-ups on the swing and all the things that you used to think, well, that's just not you know, in the cards for me. Once you start progressing as a human being, you'll be surprised at what's in the cards for you. Any any thoughts on that? Because obviously, people I was just is huge. You know that that's a lot of food coming from thirteen hundred calories. You know, and generally that person eating five hundred calories more, their weight is stable. Hundred um, percent guarantee that they feel hundred times better in their workouts, you know, and just like what you said, just overall energy, their mood is probably better. Um, you know, their sex life is probably better. Everything is. Yeah. April is having energy and they happier. April is having some internet issues right now, but you know, it looks like she's back. Um, yeah, I think what happens is, People think that they can go from 1,300 calories to 1,800 calories and then magically lose 15 pounds, right? That's not what we're saying at Eat to Perform, right? What we're saying, though, and when you think about virtually anything that you read related to health, there's going to be two schools. There's going to be the people that are trying to starve you, and then there's going to be the people that do what we do. There's really not a lot of people that do what we do, right? There's pretty much us, and I can't really think of anyone else. You know, um, there's it, it's a very small handful of people, and if you're not in that sphere of influence, you won't know them because everything else out there is telling you to starve yourself, to detox, to fast, all this other stuff, right? But the end game is not you know, going from 1,300 to 1,800 and staying weight stable. We're certainly not saying that. But when you're asking me, am I progressing? Am I doing well? Think about the conditions that create hypothyroidism, the, the conditions that create you losing your hair. You know, all of these extremes that happen when – the conditions that don't allow you to pr improve at exercise, right? All these things get compromised when you're chronically under eating and when you're always putting fat loss before every single else. Now, you know, we'll, we'll continue and we've got a few questions, but when we talk about am I on track, we have to look at a lot of things other than just, you know, did I get shredded, right? Because that has been the thing that has sort of 
you know, brought you here. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably listening to it because you don't have it totally figured out. So what we're trying to do is give you some basic, simple ideas that can allow you to feel comfortable, you know, as you're going through this process and, and ultimately trying to get body composition along the way. Um, certainly, if you're lifting more, that's going to be a sign that you are likely progressing. I say likely because lifting more can sometimes be a central nervous system response. So there are times where you can really stress your central nervous system. Well, actually, that yeah, I love it when I know people love it when I do this, but the one thing that I forgot just now was you know, April mentioned it um, sex drive, but also sleep. You know, if, if you're now eating more, you're sleeping better, you can eat a little bit more flexibly on the weekend, you can enjoy your life a little bit more, that is certainly a sign that things are going. Now, of course, we're talking about staying weight stable. There has to be an amount of accountability. Now, if we're talking about two to three pounds up, if you, you know, if you want to check, you know, probably three podcasts ago, I talked a little bit about why your weight needs to go both up and down. That's a little bit of what we're talking about. You know, when you're looking at kind of a dysfunctional body system, one of the things is that weight stays kind of the same. You're always 144 pounds, right? If you're always 144 pounds, that's not good because that does not send a signal to your body that there's some level of progress that could be happening. And so a lot of the people that are overly concerned about their weight saying a certain, you know, amount, it gets distracting, but ultimately it's kind of a, a net negative. So that would also be a sign that things are sort of progressing when you see kind of slight spikes up and then you kind of cycle some level of carbs around your workouts and then, you know, maybe lower to be a little bit more dependent on stored bodily fat and dietary fat on rest days. You talked about, you added in the sleep and, you know, holy cow, we talk about this all the time in regards to sleep being such a key important factor. When I was away over the past four days, I actually, I actually bragged to, to one of my group coaching clients because I'm always on her about sleep and she finally got eight and a half hours and she was like, I feel great, you know, but in, when I was gone the past four days, I actually slept an average of nine to 10 hours a night and I felt freaking magical. Like it was awesome, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm imagining the look in the mirror was also better. Absolutely. Absolutely. What people don't realize is all the recovery hormones that sort of happen overnight are favorable as it relates to that type of stuff. But the exact opposite is also true. If you're chronically sleeping four and five hours a night, that's really kind of a formula for cortisol, not super positive. I always think it's interesting that, you know, the just eat real food people and by the way, you know, I've got no problem with real food, okay? So don't let's not misinterpret that. But oftentimes people will give you advice based on helping you control your calories, right? So 
you start eating real food and you know if you were eating 2800 calories irresponsibly storing fat as a result and you start eating real food you'll go down to say 1800 calories without knowing it right and you will obviously lean out in that scenario but there's another few things that happen especially as you start to take away some of the energy density now all of a sudden cortisol becomes a bigger factor bodily stress becomes a big factor your body's not super stressed out when you're eating 2800 20, calories you know your body's like oh yeah this is the bump other than the fact that you know you might be carrying a little bit more weight but in general you do have the energy to do stuff if you are exercising while doing that it's probably not as bad as you think but what happens when people kind of become overly reliant on real food they are artificially messing with their hunger signaling and then when they start to stall they do the most obvious thing right they, they're eating chicken and kale most of the time now they just reduce their chicken and kale and it's basically like like lighting a desert on fire right because you're not getting an adequate amount of food to propel you through kind of this work capacity side of things but certainly getting better at exercise would be a sign that you are progressing. Once again, staying mostly weight stable, two to three pounds for women, three to five pounds. If your weight is going higher than that, here's what I would say to you. One, how restrictive have you been in the past, right? Two, how quickly are you jumping into eat perform? We do not teach people to just go from eating 1100 calories to eating 2400 calories if that's where your body's supposed to be that's not what eat perform is about we're trying to gradually walk you through this but let's be honest if you spent the last 10 years not having a glass of wine on date night you know and you're eating celery sticks and you know april and paul are on the internet saying hey you know what you can loosen things up a bit and actually feel better as a human being Maybe you overdo the wine a little bit. What we're saying is make sure that as we're starting to make these changes, we're taking a look at the scale, you know, don't become obsessive about it, but change the expectation as it relates to um, what you're, you're ultimately trying to accomplish. But, but keep in some level of accountability, right? Because I think what happens is people think, well, Maybe the process, you know, that I'm supposed to be going through with Eat to Perform is I'm supposed to gain 20 pounds. And that's really not the process that, you know, we're teaching people. And when you look at, well, my weight's going up. One of the things that happens, especially if you were coming from a really active background, you weren't eating carbs. Now all, of a sudden, uh, now all of a sudden you realize that you work out a lot better if you have carbs, but you're working out six days a week. You're really not allowing your body to kind of recover and use those carbohydrates. So they might sit on the outside of the cell. They might not totally get, you know, used up. And ultimately you can store under those conditions. But... I think that people are often anxious 
to just, I mean, I remember that. I remember, you know, just wanting to get back to being normal, eating normal, or whatever I thought normal was. At that time, normal was probably much more irresponsible, you know, um, than, than it is now. You know, mostly I, you know, eat greens, I eat steak, you know, I eat chicken. Um, you know, I would probably say that for a lot of folks, having some level of meal planning does make sense there. So, so far we've, we've covered, you know, we're, we're trying to wait, stay weight stable while adding more calories. We're PRing um, and all of those things are somewhat favorable as it relates to metabolism. Anything that you can think of? I mean, I know that, you know. I would, I would say that, um, also kind of kind of checking in if you if you have diligently worked on increasing your calories and your weight is stable and you're making gains and and everything is happening in the right direction and all of a sudden you find that your hunger is increased and it's not just a random day or you know say it's over the course of a couple weeks and you stick within your guidelines and the hunger is still persistent i would say that you know need to kind of explore on expanding a little bit more um and i think often people they 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 get their numbers and they say okay this is my goal but they never really try to work beyond that and whenever i say work beyond that i certainly don't mean continue to increase another 100 calories every single week but kind of monitoring and seeing because you know your your training may have changed you may have increased volume you may have you know need extra you know food for recovery whatever um but I think, you know, actually kind of seeing all the signs and the signals your body's telling you and, and knowing that it's okay to expand a little bit more um, because that's only going to be favorable for you when you go to do a fat loss cycle in the future. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that say, well, I'm never hungry. Well, part of the reason why you're never hungry is because you're always eating chicken and kale. You know, and that's going to affect your hunger signaling, and that's going to be kind of a net negative as it relates to the amount of calories that you need. You know, there's sort of like this demonization of energy dense foods. If you're starting to add more starches into your diet and you're starting to get hungry, you know, like Abel's saying, you can sort of push it, but there is something that else that you can check too. There's a lot of times where some people have kind of held themselves at kind of a lower weight and they do start to gain weight but they're taking body measurements and their body measurements are going lower and so it's not uncommon for people in those scenarios to go i'm okay with a little weight gain as long as i'm going from a size eight to a size six right and that's very common because, you know, when people, it always makes me laugh when people say um, that a pound of fat weighs more than a pound of muscle. They both weigh a pound. Um, it's just the, uh, the, the density of it, right? And so, you know, if, if you've been kind of holding yourself at 125 pounds for a long time, now all of a sudden you start eating an adequate amount for what you do, you're doing more in the gym, and you know, your weight does start to creep up to let's say 130 pounds, but your waist size is getting better, your abs are starting to pop. Well, what that means is you're adding lean mass. So you you like April saying, you you do kind of want to push that. 
So Alyssa was asking, so I've been doing the program for six weeks, just now starting to work on timing. Um, the one thing that I usually like to throw in on timing is that timing is like the fourth priority as it relates to what we talk about. It's important, but it's about 5% of the game, right? And, you know, she is talking about like training for competition. So in that instance, it might be a little bit more applicable, but we really want people focused more on quality, quantity, and variety, right? Especially when they're not in a deficit cycle. So I know post-workout carbohydrates should be fast carbs. Does it matter if it is solid or liquid? Well, I'm not even completely sure that it matters if they're fast carbs, okay? What we really want is, is carbs, right? Then if fast carbs are an option, then certainly go for it. Um, when we're talking about the fastest carbs, you're really going to be talking about liquid. You know, in terms of fast carb solids, can you give me some some really good examples? Because most most end up being kind of kind of middle of the road from my perspective. Um, white rice, white white rice. I would say rice cakes, ripe bananas, dates. Um, dates have a little bit of fiber in them, so the the glycemic index, although it's higher, some people do like gummy bears and Skittles and things like that. Um, you know, for I don't know if you really consider that a solid, but yeah, I, but I would even, I would even consider like white rice almost a middle of the road. It certainly wouldn't be, you know, similar to a starchy drink, you know, something like Vitargo as an example. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, if you're looking for a whole food, certainly white rice, ripe bananas, things like that, those will all be favorable. What is best? Um, I think if you're Usain Bolt, you probably want to use something like Vitargo, but for regular folks, really just about any starchy carbohydrate in that spot's going to be pretty good. She's saying, I really like to drink coconut water. Is that okay? That's a great question. And the answer is no, it really isn't okay because it's not a starch, right? It's really a sugar. And, you know, I mean, I can't even say I'm up on, you know, whether it's fructose or, or whatever it is, but it's really not a starch. And so you can use it now. I have used coconut water with some level of liquid carbohydrates and some level of protein. So it's a good mixer. You end up getting some extra vitamins, but no, from the standpoint of, of glucose, it's not a great option. Um, any thoughts? You might you might be a little bit more familiar. I know coconut water was like a really big thing a while back, but but not so much anymore. I think it does. I think it actually works well for um, intra workout, like if you have a longer workout or like a bike ride, whatever. Um, it's going to kind of allow you to to hydrate a little bit better. I think it does work yeah. well. But isn't that more like on the vitamin side of things, where yeah. you're just kind of keeping in electrolytes and stuff like that? Um, she's saying I'm training for an upcoming CrossFit competition. The one thing I would say if you're training for a competition, especially if it's coming up soon, is, you know, keep doing what you're doing, you know. Um, we can adjust things afterwards, but going into a competition, just if something's working, just kind of stick with it. So let's see. So let's see. Marlo is saying, new member here, ramping up TDE, 100 additional carbs 
calories per week. Can I ramp up sooner than the 100 additional calories per week? This is a great question, actually. And it definitely relates to the topic of the day. And the answer is absolutely. The whole point of Eat to Perform is that the more you can do that does not stress your system extremely, the better. That's another great example of the podcast that, that Dr. Mike did with Dr. Galpan. What they talked a lot about was that everybody wants to do the most extreme thing ever, you know? And they're really suggesting that that's not going to be favorable for a lot of people as they move on. You know, they did talk a little bit about cross-country skiers and people that were fairly competitive, and then they continued it, you know, but not to the extent that they were in their training days, and that those people ended up being some of the healthiest people in the study and had double the VO2 max of everybody else, had good muscle mass, and obviously, um, you know, their, um, their leg strength would have been pretty good there. So they tested real well for all the three factors that mattered. But I'm going to tell you, like, you know, coming out of performance-focused fat loss, right now my calories are right at about 2,200. I try to get in about 3,000 calories a day so I don't have to get too aggressive, aggressively low with calories. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, I'm looking at, you know, having lost right around 10 pounds in an eight-week period. But as I reverse out of this, you know, normally you would do 100 TDE. I would throw out one caveat, though. A lot of people want to default to 25 grams of carbohydrates and just keep adding carbohydrates. At a certain extent, you know, if it's working for you, just keep doing it, right? But after like the first 100 or two, you want to start adding some fats in just to kind of even things out. You don't want to get to this level. Well, you know, I was told 700 grams of carbohydrates. What are your fats? 50 grams? It's like, no, 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 that's not it. You know, we, we want to have some level of balance throughout the whole process. So keep that in mind. But as I reverse out of my performance-focused fat loss, I probably won't be going – 100 calories each time. What I'll be doing is, is I'll up my level of activity. I'll really focus a lot on, you know, um, I, I mean, I, I'm almost giddy even thinking about it because I know where my volume is going to be able to go because, you know, I'll be able to get as high as 3,500 to 4,000 because I'm going to be training for a CrossFit event in September. But I suspect that I'll be able to go from 2,200 to 3,000 in about three to four weeks. And so it, you know, it is a little bit correlation, but what we've seen with the clients that we work with is that the more athletic you are, the better you come out of it. Wouldn't you agree with that, April? Yeah, generally the the higher work capacity, the the more quickly they can adjust to the increase of food. Yes, absolutely. And once again, are you staying weight stable? That's fine. Are you losing weight? There are times where you will lose weight, right? 
as you're adding the food because now all of a sudden you've got more energy, more work capacity throughout the day. And you, you know, there are times where people will come to them and say, I'm losing weight at a rapid rate right now. What do I do? Well, your calories are too low, right? So let's try and find, you know, and you often see women in this scenario that are like, yay, this is the best thing ever. It's like, no, you know, like you don't want to be that aggressive, right? Because you, you can compromise your muscle mass if you lose weight too quickly. Well, you have to think about the excitement, though, coming from a female. You know, you spent half your life eating hardly nothing, you know, in an, an attempt to chase this magic number on the scale, and then all of a sudden you finally trust and believe, and you jump in, and, you know, all of a sudden you're actually eating more, and the scale's dropping at a rapid rate. You're like, hell yeah. Well, this, is this is the best it. thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think what happens, though, is – if you've kind of come from this underfed background and you have more energy, you're able to push your workouts a little bit harder, you know, and you're seeing like these major results more than anything that you've seen in a very long time. There's always a compromise that all of us have. And one of the things that you almost see it where it's like kind of new gains because when you're eating an adequate amount for, for what you do, you're, you're much stronger, you're much faster, you know, all these things. But you'll always be in some level of compromise as it relates to what you do, how much does it hurt, and how much do I eat, right? And as I get closer and closer to 50, I start to realize I don't want to hurt that much, right? So I'm going to eat just a little bit less. Now, my little bit less is still 2,700 to 3,000, and you can fit in a lot of foods that you like at 2,700 to 3,000. One of the things that came up in group coaching that was sort of interesting today um, was this idea. When you think of dieting or deficit cycles or whatever, often people have to choose between fats or carbohydrates. When you think of eat to perform – you know, you often don't have to choose because fats are going to be favorable as it relates to hormonal activity. It's going to, you know, that sex drive that April was talking about earlier, fats contribute to that greatly. Carbohydrates, obviously, are going to give your muscles more energy, especially as, as if you're not overly reliant on sugar and maybe a little bit more focused on starches and stuff like that. But, yeah, absolutely, you know, um, Try and push the the. I, I think too many people they join eat to perform, and they don't really push the perform side. You know, um, they, they're happy to do the eat side, but but really the the perform side is kind of fun, and it also makes it more enjoyable. It makes whatever you're doing more enjoyable because you're getting better at it at a rapid rate. Let's see. So Matt was asking basically everything in the programming for. Um, Basically everything in the programming. What is a performance focused fat loss? Okay, basically everything in the prog programming for fat loss book. Um, it is yes. I mean, there, there's obviously discussion there. You know, one of the things that you know Brad's talking about, and you know, there's kind of little notes from me if you're reading it, where you know I'm talking about why it's important to get better at exercise, and and Brad is talking about you know why you want to kind of 
you know, not overdo it. You want to make sure you're getting adequate rest. One of the things I talk about a lot in group coaching is that if you are um, not sleeping well and you have a choice between going to the gym or taking a nap, I almost always suggest the nap, right? Now, there are instances where sleeping isn't always going to be perfect. And if, you know, you're only working out one day a week, that's not good, right? But I'm talking about kind of like these one-off scenarios where you got to choose gym or nap. You know, if it's a one-off scenario, choose the nap. A lot of people don't think to choose the nap, but it ends up being favorable. So Alyssa was saying she'll shoot for starchy carbs. Thank you. Matt saying workout early morning, 530. What would an ideal bedtime meal look like pre-workout carbs or no? Okay, so I'm going to answer this the the best way i know how okay but if you're listening to this this might be a little shocking for you but trust us on this this is not as bad as you would think okay so you're eating your meal you have chicken maybe rice you try to keep you know fiber relatively low in that meal before bed especially if you have enough um food allotted, you still have more macros that you can use up. One of the best things would be something like rice pudding. Another thing would be something like rice checks with protein. Um, it kind of depends on what you're open to. For a long time there, you know, I really focused on mostly whole foods. So I would do like coconut milk smoothies, kind of gotten away from that just because, you know, I feel better and more ready for AM workouts if I do something like rice checks with protein. Um, certainly, there's a lot of people that will use things like Fruity Pebbles or Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Those things are all tasty. What I can say, you know, and, and, and it's sort of, it's probably hard for people to hear this if they're still under the mantra of, you know, don't eat carbs at night. Um, most people that do eat carbs at night, whether it be rice jacks or even something like Fruity Pebbles, they tend to sleep a little bit better and they tend to sleep a little bit deeper. And so that's favorable. Am I recommending that for you? Well, that depends. You know, if, you know, it's, it's sort of food is almost like religion for a lot of people, you know? And so you know, I'm not trying to say this is what you should eat. What I'm trying to say is if you eat 5,000 calories a day, good luck trying to get that with chicken and kale, and you might be better off trying some Fruity Pebbles with protein, right? But if you're only eating 2,200 calories a day, then you might want to stick with something like rice checks or rice pudding or something like that, right? So I think often if somebody's listening to this, and they're bothered by me making separate recommendations for other athletes, then you're probably never going to be a good fit for eating form, to be honest with you, because, you know, we have vegetarians, we have, you know, all manner of people that are eating and trying to get better at exercise. And so it's sort of a food religion neutral kind of place, right? Virtually everyone that's in the groups you know, they're open to the fact that other people eat 
differently from them and that, you know, they don't necessarily feel challenged by that. Any thoughts on that, April? Any foods that I missed that are sort of your go-tos? Um, I think I would say the, the rice pudding is a good one and it's actually kind of somewhat whole foods, you know, for most people because you would just essentially use like cooked white rice um, and some um, sliced banana, cinnamon, a little bit of almond, coconut milk, whatever, um, and warm up. So that's a good one. Um, obviously everything that you were saying, you know, you and I have been doing this for many, many years and we've tested the waters with all different things and we found what works best for us, you know, and what works really, really awesome for me may not work really, really awesome for Matt or Lisa or whatever, you know, I think the whole process, some of it is in regards to me search, um, you know, and, and like what you said, the food being a religion, you know, we don't coerce or, or recommend, you know, people to eat. We just basically say, Hey, these are options or these are some of the options of the many options that you have, you know, it's your, you know, it's your choice. I would say though, to answer um, Matt's question, you know, I see some people eat dinner a little bit later and some people like to eat really, really big. So I would say that the, the nighttime snack, even though it's really awesome for me and I love it and you know, I'm just kind of accustomed to it. Um, he may eat he may eat dinner later and as long as he has a good portion of starchy carbohydrates rice or potatoes anything like that with dinner he should be fueled for that 5 a.m workout regardless you know no issue yeah, the, no the reason one thing, to have anything before. the one thing that i would suggest is don't go to bed hungry yes you know, oh, absolutely yes you know, that 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 to me is a big no-no you you often will end up waking up in the middle of the night and that's not going to be favorable for your workouts either i was going to say you wake up in the middle of the, the, middle of the night and i can guarantee your workout's going to suck the next day so yeah and so so Alyssa was saying if i'm understanding right if i do not work out in the a.m and i sleep like a baby is it okay to skip bedtime carbohydrates and not save carbohydrates for bedtime and that answer is also yes right? It's what works for you, right? And what is allowing you to progress? I mean, one of the things I definitely want you guys to hear is we're going to provide you guys with information, but there's no reason that what Alyssa is saying isn't relevant to a certain part of the population. They already sleep well. They, they don't do carbohydrates at night. And actually, we talked about this in one of the recent some people sleep too vividly when um, when they have carbohydrates at night, and it doesn't allow them a restful sleep. So that is a great point, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Lisa. I would say, you know, for Alyssa, yeah, she already sleeps like a baby. Don't break what you know. Don't fix what isn't broken. You know, I wouldn't even test out anything else if she sleeps also now. You know. Yeah. So Matt's also saying, I understand bedtime meal suggestion. What about the next morning? Would a banana or OGA pre-workout be favorable? It can be favorable for some people. It would not be for me. Um, I would just end up puking. It also depends on what you do, right? If you're a CrossFitter and you're doing a wad, you know, um, if you can get in a banana and you don't puke it up, awesome. Like I said, you know, for me, the only thing that I could deal with typically was espresso and so I would show up at the gym like hey guys let's work out you know um, and then by the time the, the hour-long session was done you know that's when I would start to have my carbohydrates but 
Um, yeah, I mean, if 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 you can get in a banana, um, orange juice. I'm not a huge juice guy. Um, I mean, certainly if if your macros are relatively high, I'm not an anti-orange juice. And every time I drink it, I love the hell out of it. And and I think to myself, you know, sounds like maybe you want some. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, my well, actually more than. More than orange juice is grapefruit juice. I love grapefruit juice. Well, the big the big dilemma is: Do you like with pulp or without pulp? I I do like without pulp. Oh me, no! Just pulp. I know I know you get better with the pulp, but I don't know. It's just I don't know. I would say um, you know, to answer Matt's question, um, some people some people just perform better and need a little something on their stomach. Um, yep. regardless, regardless of any solid food that he eats, it is not going to get processed or utilize this energy. If anything, it's just going to settle his stomach. So he doesn't yeah. get that really hungry feeling. So I would just say, you know, eat whatever you like, you know, yeah, if it works, do it. Um, he's also saying that his sleep's not all that great. I'm just going to tell you right now, if your sleep's not all that great and you're struggling with, with fat loss or you're struggling with getting better at the gym, the best thing you can do by far is sleep. One of the things that, that you know, we provide some of our group coaching clients is heart rate variability monitors. And almost always as people start to monitor their heart rate and the variability within the, the minutes, which basically kind of shows you whether or not you're recovering or not. The two things that affect it the most is are you sick or are you sleeping well? And whenever people are struggling, those are the two things that are affected the most. So if you can kind of make that sleep a habit, you know, maybe look at adding some magnesium. We're no longer recommending natural calm based on the, the labdoor.com. Um, I don't know if you saw that April, but you know they have kind of high doses of arsenic in it. Apparently, what? really? Yeah. Why? That must be why it kind of helps you with the bathroom too. <laughs> I be I believe it. That yeah. Well, it depends on if you're kind of overdosing it or not. But but you can just get magnesium. Like I I get, I the magnesium I use is from Pure Pharma, and so that, that's pretty good stuff. So. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate everybody being here. This was actually a really awesome one. I mean, we love it. You know, it used to be we would do these, and it was all Q&A. And that got to be a little redundant. But we do really like Q&A. You know, we like people asking questions and having, you know, kind of back and forth. But what we found is, is that if we don't have a theme, you know, people don't follow along as well. So I appreciate everybody being here and we'll see you guys next Monday. Talk to you later. Good night, everyone.